The Two-Headed Nerd Comic Cast is brought to you by Ape Entertainment, who's proud to present the return of Drew Hayes' Poison Elves this March, and Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. By the way, my name is Matt Bond, and I don't need you anymore. I'm not convinced I ever did. You're listening to the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Cast with Joe and... Who was it now? I can never remember it. Sort of break it, break it down like good. Welcome to episode 102 of THN, where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, February 6th. I'm Joe Patrick. That's at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. When I'm not mourning the loss of my original co-host while simultaneously auditioning his replacement, I'm the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and the artist slash co-creator of Good Plus, which you can find at goodpluscomic.com. And I'm Aaron Myers, at Aaron Myers on the Twitter. And when I'm not being called up from the THN Love Slave bullpen to join the big leagues, I'm the writer of ProactiveContinuity.com. This week, you'll hear reviews of Snapshot number 1 and Green Arrow number 17. After that, we'll review 10 comics so fast you'll forget you ever heard the name Matt Bomb during the ludicrous speed round. And then we'll pay a visit to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where the collected tears of rejected nerds will manifest the secrets of next week's comics. And finally... Ask a Nerd is back with a question straight from the mouth of the king of Ask a Nerd himself. But before we get to all that wailing and gnashing of teeth, let's take a moment to welcome Aaron Myers, THN's number one fan, to the hot seat. And then we'll talk about this week's big news. Not a single page of Age of Ultron, Marvel's next big event, has been released, and the publisher is already hyping their next, next big thing. Originally solicited as classified, Marvel has announced Infinity by Jonathan Hickman and Jim Chung, their free comic book day offering for this year. As is typical with free comic book day releases from the big two, Infinity sets the stage for a story that the publisher is calling, quote, the grandest Marvel Comics event of all time! The Infinity cover features the usual suspects from Hickman's recent Marvel work, including the Inhumans, the Illuminati, and the Avengers, specifically Captain Universe, among others. It should come as no surprise that the villain of the piece is recent film star Thanos, and Marvel Editor-in-Chief Axel Alonso has stated that events in Hickman's Avengers and the upcoming Nova, Guardians of the Galaxy, and Thanos Rising all feed in to the Infinity event. It's a safe bet that the Infinity Gems will somehow be involved, so fans may want to take special notice of this week's new Avengers number 3. I'm just saying. I will readily admit that I am a sucker for anything involving the words Infinity and Thanos, but Aaron, tell me what you think. Well, if it was anyone but Hickman writing this, I'd be groaning that it was a rehash of the Infinity whatever, Mm -hmm. which we've had plenty of, but but Hickman's a writer I trust big time. And um, I think what he's doing with Avengers so far is really, really exciting. Um, We're going to have a lot of pressure from editorial, I think, to tie this into Avengers movie and all their other properties. But Hickman's still proven himself to be an amazing world builder and storyteller. Um, I'm really actually excited for this. That is so much more well said than anything Matt Baum could have come up with. You're already proving your worth as replacement co-host. Excellent. (laughs) I am also excited, but, you know, like I said, I'm already in the tank for Thanos stories. Um, But I am loving the current stuff Hickman's doing. Avengers was a slower build for me than his Fantastic Four was. But as of, like, the last issue, the one that came out just this week, I, I totally adored it. And I think that he's doing really interesting stuff with some great new characters. And I can't think of anyone at Marvel better suited to giving us this kind of grand cosmic, 
you know, universe altering whatever than Jonathan Hickman. Absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, don't give it to Bendis. It'll all be word balloons. <laughs> but <laughs> right. I love the guy, but come on. I don't know if he's fit for the cosmic stuff. I guess we'll see when Guardians comes out. In Hollywood news, after months of speculation, it seems certain that Parks and Recreation star Chris Pratt will be your Star-Lord in Marvel's upcoming Guardians of the Galaxy film. Star-Lord, a.k.a. Peter Quill, is the half-human, half-alien leader of the Guardians. Pratt is best known for his portrayal of the bumbling Andy Dwyer in NBC's Parks and Rec, but he recently bulked up for a prominent role in Zero Dark Thirty, proving that he has, has a little more dramatic range than he might have been given credit for. What do you think, Joe? Is Pratt a good fit for Star-Lord? You know, I was a little unsure at first. My version of Star-Lord, like the version that I hear in my head, is not necessarily the space Captain America. It's like the Keith Giffen, uh, you know, flawed hero, not necessarily always doing the right thing. Like, the personality that was placed on him when he first came back during Annihilation. And so I think that this is a decent fit. I'm glad they didn't give it to some, you know, cover boy, male model action star. I I think Star-Lord needs to be somebody a little bit unexpected. Now, I have not seen Zero Dark Thirty, but I heard really great things about his part in that movie. Did you see it? No, I haven't seen it yet, but I heard he did really well as as well, and it kind of shows that he has range then, because he's he's hilarious on Parks and Rec. It's true. That's completely different. So, I mean, a good actor is a good actor, and if he doesn't make you think of his other roles he's played and takes you into the role he's playing currently, then that's great. Yeah. And then he's definitely done his job and I've only seen him in comedic roles. So I think it'll be really interesting to see what he does with a really high concept action adventure, science fiction raccoon movie. So (laughs) looking forward to it. Entry. (laughs) Speaking of galactic space adventure, Disney has confirmed plans for standalone character-centric films set in the Star Wars universe this past Tuesday. The very next day, Entertainment Weekly reported that those plans include solo films for Boba Fett, set during the original trilogy, and Young Han Solo, which would take place in the gap between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope. I think I also heard mention of a Yoda movie, but I didn't see too much about that. While Entertainment Weekly quoted sources that are, quote, close to the projects, both Lucasfilm and Disney declined to comment, which places their FET and Solo announcements firmly in rumor country. But what if, Aaron? Do you think it's a good idea for Disney to hit us with this much Star Wars right out of the gate, or do they run the risk of diluting the brand? Joe, I've got four words for you. Star Wars Holiday Special. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I mean, Disney spent $4 billion to buy the Star Wars property, and now they want to milk that Wookiee for all it's worth. I get it. You know, I don't blame them, but they make too much too fast, and it'll ruin the franchise. Yes, and I don't want them to rush into anything. Like, I don't want them to glut the market. On the other hand, I do think that there is room for character pieces not necessarily set in the main saga, you know, not part of the story the Skywalker mythos. Sure, but usually you don't see those as major blockbuster films, too. So, you that's, know, that's true. A, that's a lot to put to make people come out to the uh, movie theaters. I mean, you know, for TV shows, I you know, I'd watch a 24-hour documentary on the mating hap- habits of Tauntauns or something. Whoa. But, <laughs> but it has to be done well, and that's the problem. There's only so many people with the talent, you know, to make good Star Wars, and I think they're pretty tied up at the moment. It's true. And I will say that 
Disney and Lucasfilm are kind of enjoying an unusual amount of goodwill right now because of the choices they're making yeah. going forward with the uh, the new trilogy. I would hate for them to tank it <laughs> before we ever got the first movie off the ground. Right. Part of the appeal, too, is we had to wait so long to get Star Wars that the anticipation and the buildup, you know, what made them major events, even if they turned out to be pretty crappy in hindsight. That's true. I want Star Wars to be special. I don't want Star Wars. I don't want to turn around and see a new Ice Age, the cartoon. <laughs> There's a new Ice Age cartoon every five seconds. Right. There are like 15 different Land Before Time movies. Yep. That is not a joke. And no, I so I, I, I <laughs> and so I don't want that to become what Star Wars is. I want Star Wars to remain special. If you're going to do something different, if you can't do it really, really well, then give me a TV show. Give me an hour long, you know, Battlestar Galactica type, like sci fi channel Star Wars show or ABC, I suppose it would be. But don't just flood the market with with spin-off movies. It's really going to make people, I think, distrustful of of this comeback. I'm telling you, 2015, Star Wars Holiday Special number two. Oh, man. There's going to be Wookiee milk everywhere. That's the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories or anything you think we missed, head over to our Facebook page where we're brainstorming ideas for our own Star Wars spin-off film. Look for the untold adventures of young Jack Porkins coming soon to a theater near you. Each week, Joe Patrick posts the question of the week on the Facebook and Twitter, and we read your responses on the show. This week's question was... What are some of your favorite comics that were canceled before their time? Our first response came from at Fuzzy underscore Esquire on Twitter, who says, The current incarnation of extreme X-Men. I'm loving the characters and the reality hopping, but alas, I'm sad to see it go. Also on Twitter, at Duplicity1 wrote in with Joe Casey's The Intimates, which I totally forgot about. I loved that book. I loved the fairly fresh universe filled with interesting ideas and mostly how they told it. The info overload style may have been gimmicky, but it gave you your money's worth, and I really liked it at the time. I agree, that book was great, and I was sad to see it go. At Machu Picchu, one of our buddies at the Pull List Podcast says, Young Liars, and other titles that were not really canceled but never ended, Fell, Queen and Country, and Viking. But most of all, he misses Loveless, the Brian Azzarello Vertigo Western, and Joe Casey's Wildcats 3.0, which I adored. I loved that book. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. Young Liars was great, too. You know, I couldn't get into that one, but uh, a, a lot of these other ones, I think he hit right on the hit the nail right on the head. Fell. Anytime mm-hmm. that a mm-hmm. new issue of Fell comes out, I love it. Queen and Country, I'm just getting into, and it's wonderful. Uh, but yeah, Wildcats 3.0, Joe Casey really did some great things with that franchise. Mm-hmm. Moving over to Facebook, Anthony Mathers writes, I Vampire. This book is one of the best to come out of the relaunch, and now there's only two issues to go. The art was amazing, and it felt like anything could happen. Bonus answer, OMAC. I heard really great things about OMAC. I know the guys at the pull list loved OMAC. Uh, I never um, really got past the first issue. Yeah, it was very true to Kirby's OMAC. Sure, which I sure. Think would be appeal. Yeah, I heard great things, and the only reason I didn't keep up with it was because, you know, there's only so much time in the day. But 
Wade Lyles, among others, seconded iVampire, but Wade also adds Nightcrawler, the short-lived 2005 ongoing series. He was a, a paranormal investigator of sorts, and most of the jobs just kind of fell into his lap. It was a great 12 issues, and I never felt like it ended. I remember that series. It had great art by Derek Robertson to start with. Um, I didn't follow it too long, but that was kind of a weird time for Marvel where they were putting out a lot of books that you weren't expecting. You know, no, nobody really thought like a Nightcrawler series <laughs> you know, was, was going to fly. There was also like a Rogue ongoing series that didn't last very long. Marvel was just throwing a lot of stuff to the wall back then. Nightcrawler sounds like was one of the better ones. Yeah, I never read it, but I know I've seen people talk about it, and it seemed like it was beloved, but probably only by some. Yeah, obviously only by a few. <laughs> right. And wrapping up our first round of responses is Chris Duffy, PhD, who writes, There are a lot of cancellations that hit deep, but the freshest wounds are Kieran Gillen's fantastic Generation Hope, Avengers Academy, Hawkeye and Mockingbird, and the one that hurts the most, Red Robin. I agree on all counts. I loved all of those books. Uh especially Avengers Academy and Red Robin. Those were great, great series. And, uh, you know, Marvel now marched in and shuffled the deck, and that's the way things go. It's a shame Hawkeye and Mockingbird didn't get a larger audience, but it did lead to the amazing new Hawkeye series we have now, so maybe it's all for the best. All right. Oh, Danny boy. We are off to a great start as usual, guys. We'll be back with more responses later in the show. It's review time on THN, a time for Aaron and I to strengthen our new bond forged by the fire of a mutual love of comics. Man, it feels nice not to get made fun of for once. Aaron, you big dummy, what horrible piece of shit did you read this week? Joe, I read Snapshot Number 1 by Image Comics, written by Andy Diggle and art by Jock. Here's your solicit. Jake Dobson is your typical nerd, works for the Near Mint Rhino comic book store in San Francisco. But when he finds a lost cell phone, he's horrified to discover it's full of snapshots of a murder victim. Suddenly, he finds himself hunted by a vengeful hitman who wants his phone back, and Jake in a body bag. Then things start to get really complicated. Whoa. <laughs> Don't miss the first ever creator-owned thriller from the team behind the losers in Green Arrow Year One. So, I, re- I really like this. Um, Jock's black and white art was, um, was great. You know, sometimes... It can be very stark and um, emotionless when you have just black and white art, but it really works well in this. Um, he does an amazing job. Um, the premise is really solid. It's pretty interesting. You know, it's it starts out with nothing that we haven't necessarily seen before, but it's a good crime thriller hook um, and does the job of getting you interested. And then what goes on from there, it just gets really crazy. I'm not going to spoil it, um, but you definitely want to read the second issue when it's done because of what happens later in the issue. A couple things that kind of threw me off though. The pacing was definitely odd in certain places. And when I did some research into it, um, I didn't realize that this actually came out in judge dread magazine oh. in 2011. I did yeah. not know that. Yeah. It was serialized originally. So it's already all been done and published. Um, they just collected it and printed it out on image and issues. Oh, they bamboozled me. I know. <laughs> so, so that's why it, when I was reading it, like it's sort of more like three issues in one because you know it's broken up. Yeah, and that and that kind of explains some of the some of the pacing and and um, cliffhangers during you know, while you're reading it. Another thing that kind of bothered me a bit too: the main character being a comic store employee felt pretty uh, pandering and and 
and silly. I uh, will, some, of the, some of the dialogue was kind of odd. Yeah, I will say that, you know, as a comic book store employee, <laughs> I, I <laughs> thought that the, the interaction between the main character and his buddy didn't really do comic clerks any favors. Yeah, it was it pretty was stereotypical. Very stereotypical. They were actually super rude to a customer that needed help. It's like, yo, Andy Diggle, come on, man. <laughs> we're we're trying here. Some of us are trying to be better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that that kind of bothered me. I mean, he could have said it kind of with anything, and and doing it that way kind of detracted from the story a bit for me. Not so much that it totally took me out of it, but it, it was definitely a little bothersome. Um, and then I just have as a as a computer nerd i had a little bit of a nitpick too like any kind of cell phone these days especially if it has important information on it it's gonna have a lock code yeah yes <laughs> you know you're not gonna just find a, a cell phone that has pretty sensitive information like that uh without some sort of lock pattern on it but you know maybe we find out there's a reason for that you know maybe there was there was a reason he needed to find the phone in the, in the later issues so sure. right now i'm kind of um i'm putting that aside if we find out later on that there wasn't a reason for it it's gonna, <laughs> it's gonna really bug me even more yeah i totally know what you mean he picked up this this gigantic smartphone and i'm like oh, he just got right on there I, yeah <laughs> yeah you know, sometimes i can't even get on my own phone overall um i really like this first issue in spite of those flaws and i can't say it's a must read for everyone but i say it's a very very good read and everyone should buy it all right i liked it as well uh i did not necessarily detect any pacing problems, but, you know, I'm a dummy. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. I, I thought the passcode thing was very strange. I thought the comic shop interaction was very uh, stereotypical. But the art is gorgeous, and I love this team together, and I'm excited to see where this goes. Uh, I agree that there's some things that need to get explained, and if they don't get addressed, then it's a problem. But for now... I'm willing to suspend that uh, until the story unfolds. So I'm giving this one to buy it as well. Joe, what are you reviewing this week? My review is of Green Arrow number 17 by DC Comics, written by Jeff Lemire with art, or Jeff Lemire, I don't know, Lemire, Lemire, <laughs> Schlemiel, Schlemazel. All right. Art and colors by Andrea Sorrentino. Here's your solicit. Welcome the new team of writer Jeff Lemire and artist Andrea Sorrentino as Ollie struggles to come to terms with the loss of his fortune, his company, and his heritage. He discovers a shocking truth about his father that ties to his time stranded on an island before he became Green Arrow. Plus, Green Arrow battles the deadly archer known as Komodo. Now, if you spent any time listening to the show, you know that DC's treatment of Green Arrow up to this point has been one of our main complaints about the New 52. I hear it every week from you guys. <laughs> For the past 16 months, I've basically ignored the existence of Oliver Queen in the new DC universe and haven't really suffered at all for it. And then, DC suddenly announced a creative 180 for the book in the form of Animal Man's Jeff Lemire and iVampire's Andrea Sorrentino. I grew more and more excited as the release date for this issue grew closer, and now it's finally here, and in eight pages... Lemire and Sorrentino wipe away everything that was wrong about the past 16 months and deliver a completely fresh start for both the character and old fans that were disappointed in the series' past direction. Lemire spends the issue taking apart Oliver Queen's world and sets up a compelling mystery that'll propel the series forward. The art by Sorrentino is the star of this issue, though. His visual storytelling skills are phenomenal. I loved the way that he sort of 
slows down the action during the fight scenes with the close-up panels of like the arrows crisscrossing in midair, yeah. or the uh, you know inset panels of you know Ollie grabbing the pen off the desk and and tossing it at a guard or whatever. The action during the fight scenes really gives the story a cinematic feel. I loved it, and while I do love the way he uses color like dropping certain panels down to black and white with like a spot color. I'm not crazy about Sorrentino's color palette. There's an odd flatness to it that I'm not sure suits the book. And I'd kind of like to see it with, uh, I'd like to see it move a little bit more towards the style that the cover is colored with. Uh, I think that those colors were by a company called hi-fi. Uh, that's a nitpick though. Uh, the art is gorgeous. It's beautiful to look at. Uh, Sorrentino's got this kind of really thin-lined style, but heavy shadow. And so it's very, very... It's ethereal. Yeah, it's ethereal. Um, I just, I think the colors need to be a little bit less light. Uh, I don't know if I'm explaining that right, but if you look at the book, you'll kind of see what I mean. If you're a lapsed Green Arrow fan like me, or even a curious new reader, this is the perfect place to jump in. I am... So very, very pleased to give this issue a strong buy it. Aaron, what did you think? Um, I liked it. I haven't been reading Green Arrow probably really ever. Um, I don't really have much tie to the character at all or anything. Um, So I picked this up, not really having any expectations. I really like Jeff Lemire. Um, I'm more of a huge fan of his creator-owned work. But um, I've been reading Animal Man since he started on that, and I really liked what he did with the character there. Um, I think people who are fans of Green Arrow are going to be very happy with this issue. Um, I don't know if people have not been reading Green Arrow that they're going to really care that much. It, like To me, it's, it's a fine, it's a good issue. I think it did a great job of resetting the character from everything I've heard about it. It definitely is making an effort to tie into the TV show, from what I can tell. You know? it's, a, it's kind of reminiscent, yeah. Yeah, so I, I, you know, they're trying to have some continuity there. I think that's what probably what happened with DC too. That you know they said, "Oh, we have this TV show coming out. We really need to revamp this character." <laughs> so um, it, I don't know if I'm going to keep continue with it, but I think people who have been wanting a good Green Arrow book now have that book, and they'll be happy. So that's a skim it. A skim it. <laughs> All right. So that's a double buy it for Snapshot number one, and a buy it and a skim it for Green Arrow number seventeen. Of course, we want to know what you slacker comic shop clerks and disgraced billionaires thought of these comics, so share your opinions with us over in the comments section of this episode at TwoHeadedNerd.com. Now it's time for me to see if Aaron really has what it takes to take Matt's place on the show. It's one thing to write reviews for a website, but it's a whole nother thing entirely to keep up during the ludicrous speed round. Ludicrous speed! Go! Mr. Toast, number four, DKE Inc. This is a kid book. Uh, it's all single images with one line of text. It's very quick to read. It's very simple. It's also adorable. Uh, this one is about Mr. Toast and his pal going to ninja school. Uh, it is great if you are a parent with a young child or an uncle or grandparent or whatever. Grab this book. This is very James Kolchaka-esque with a lot less weird wieners. I'm giving this one up by it. Son of Merlin, number one, from Image slash Top Cow. This is the story of the unaware son of Merlin the Magician in modern times. He's thrown into the fight for his life when his father dies and leaves him with his legacy. And this was, at best, mediocre. Oh, man. It, uh, 
ho-hum, digital art, predictable premise, nothing exciting or original here, don't waste your time, leave it. Fearless Defenders, number one, Marvel. This is the new book by Colin Bunn with art by Will Sliney, Sliney? sorry I'm getting that name wrong. Uh, it is Misty Knight, who I love, teaming up with Doctor E, who I can take or leave, uh, fighting zombie Vikings. It's fun. The art grew on me the more I read it, but I'm not 100% convinced that we need this book. Um, I enjoyed Fractions Defenders more as a first issue. This one is going to take a little bit, bit of time to sell me on it. I'm giving it a skimming. Fairy Quest number one from Boom. This is a great tale of uh, fairy tale characters who spend their days reenacting their stories and then their nights dreaming of something more um, than just the stories they're part of. The art is awesome, and this first issue leaves you wanting to see what happens next. Buy it. Winter Soldier number 15, Marvel. I have not been reading the book. I love Ed Rubicka's Winter Soldier. I just got way, way, way behind and unfortunately didn't get to finish his conclusion with the character. This, however, is the first issue by the new creative team. Writer Jason Latour does a great job. He hits the ground running. I really loved it. Uh, the art by Nick Klein is kind of gritty and harsh. You might re- remember Nick Klein from uh, the image book Viking. I thought this was really great. It's off to a wonderful start. If you were dropping the book after Brubaker, check this one out. I'm giving it a buy it. My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic number three from IDW. This is some scary pony comics. The art is simply <laughs> awesome in this, and the story is even more for adults than it is for kids. Seriously, I had to skip some pages when I was reading this with my son. What? Uh, yeah, there's some scary stuff in this. Horse boners uh, everywhere. Oh, yeah. Um, I laughed, I cringed, and I touched my inner brony. You should buy this. Oh, gross. Red team number one, Dynamite. This is the new Garth Ennis ongoing from Dynamite. It is about a group of police officers, or detectives, I suppose, that decide to take the law into their own hands, and who better to get away with a perfect crime than the people that investigate crimes. Uh, It's very dark, it's very gritty, it has great art, and it's very well written. That said, I don't think I'm interested in a story like this. Uh, it's not really what I want. I gave it a try because it's Garth Ennis, but, you know, good people doing bad things. There's nothing really to root for here. Uh, I'm giving it a skim it because it's very well done. Maybe it is more your speed than it is mine. Harbinger Zero from Valiant. If you've been reading Harbinger, then this is a nice fill-in for the big event that's coming up with Valiant. Um, If you haven't, I don't think this is going to get you up to speed much. The art is good, and the story is interesting, but it's not necessarily a zero issue for everyone. Skim it. Dia de los Muertos. Number one, image. Es Español! This is the new book, uh, kind of spearheaded by Riley Rosmo. He does not draw every story in this issue, uh, but I think he had a hand in all three stories. It is about, you know, the Mexican Day of the Dead and how that culture impacts the lives of three different uh, people or groups of people. It's off and on. I mean, it's an anthology, so it's hit and miss, as all anthologies are. The Rosmo parts are gorgeous to look at. I don't necessarily relate to the stories. Uh, you know, it's all about lost love and, and you know, that sort of thing. It, it, this deserves a skim it. It's beautiful. It's oversized, which drives me crazy uh, because... If you're buying just normal comic book long boxes, it really messes with your flow. I'm giving it a skim it. It is gorgeous, though. 
multiple warheads. Alphabet to infinity number four from Image. After we're done recording today, um, I plan to kidnap Brandon Graham and lock him in my comics room and make him make more issues of multiple warheads for me. You heard it here uh, first. <laughs> every one of these comics is completely insane. It's like a drug-fueled anime fever dream, and I cannot get enough by it. I do love Brandon Graham. Chick twip, smash! That is your ludicrous speed round, and chick twip, smash! Is the sound of Jeff Lemire and Andrea Sorrentino making the last 16 months of Green Arrow fade away like a bad dream in the pages of this week's Green Arrow number 17. Now, join us in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where sorrow, the embodiment of feelings, real character, I looked it up, will draw on the power of rejected nerd tears to summon an image of next week's comics. Aaron, what has the salty nerd sadness revealed to you? My pick next week is Manhattan Project number nine from Image Comics by Jonathan Hickman and Nick Batara. This is uh, ramping up to the retaliation of the scientists against the world governments that have they have rebelled against. And we're going to have the looming threat of intergalactic war as well. It's going to be epic. I cannot wait for this to come out. This book is so above and beyond insane and amazing. You are missing out on one of the best books being done right now if you aren't reading this. Go get the first trade. It's cheap, and you will thank me once you've read it. Joe, what's your pick for next week? My pick for next week is Batman number 17 from DC Comics by Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo. It is the long-awaited conclusion of the death of the family storyline. The Joker's return has been brutal and unexpected, and I need to know what's on that serving tray. If it's Alfred's head, I will freak out. Creepy stuff. It is creepy. It is wonderful. And Batman has never been better than it has been under the guide of Snyder and Capullo. I can't wait to find out what happens. Me too. And speaking of Batman, the THN trade paperback pick of the week is the Batman Night of the Owls hardcover from DC Comics, also by Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo. This was the previous Bat Family crossover that showed the Court of Owls taking the fight back to Batman and his family and it was amazing, gorgeous art, a wonderful story, and this hardcover is jam-packed not only with the Batman parts, but a lot of the tie-in issues as well. It should be a great read for those of you that haven't picked it up yet. Seek it out on comic shop shelves next week. Of course, we want to know what you're looking forward to, so be sure to embody your feelings over at our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash nerd. Before we move on, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsor. The Two-Headed Nerd Comic Cast is brought to you by Ape Entertainment. Since 2003, Ape has been bringing readers original and licensed comics and graphic novels like this week's Strawberry Shortcake Berry Fun Digest Collection Volume 1, a great book to put in the hands of a young reader to help foster a love of comics. And be on the lookout for the March return of Drew Hayes' Poison Elves, which continues the saga where it abruptly ended in 2007. Get to your local comic shop and pre-order your copy today. And check out ape-entertainment.com for more. Thanks once again to Ape Entertainment for sponsoring THN. And if you'd like more information about supporting the show, send an email to twoheadednerd at gmail.com with the subject line, Sponsorship. Joe, before we move on, how about some more answers to the question of the week? 
Gladly. <laughs> Jason Colner wrote in with Next Wave Agents of Hate. The characters were compelling, Eminem's art was stunning, and Ellis's stories were deliciously oddball. It's a damn shame that we didn't get more. I couldn't agree more. I loved Next Wave. I've been hankering to reread it. Unfortunately, we talked about it some weeks ago. The only reason it ended is because Eminem got the call to go up to draw um, Ultimate Spider-Man. And you don't really say no to Spider-Man. <laughs> so, But uh, yeah, I love Next Wave. That is a good call, Jason. Michael Powell showed his very sincere love for Sleepwalker, saying, It was one of my favorite comics growing up, and the 33 increasingly odd issues I got just weren't enough. Maybe if the Marvel movie craze goes on long enough, I'll get to see Sleepy, Rick Sheridan, and the Mindscape on the big screen. Keep dreaming, buddy. (laughs) Michael Robertson says, Unknown Soldier. It was a hard-hitting, well-written book. It looked at important issues in Africa, and I could have read it to issue 1000. Unknown Soldier is one of those books I've been wanting to get into. My buddy Darren, who teaches English, just swears by it. He teaches it academically. It's that good. And one of these days, I'm going to grab it off the shelf and uh, sink my teeth into it. Adriano Ariganello, sorry, writes, All-Star Batman and Robin. It had a so-bad-it's-good vibe to it that likely won't happen again. Such a talented team canceling each other out to create the goddamn Batman. Sorry, Adriano. I can't agree with you there. All-Star Batman wasn't so bad it's good. It was just bad. But if you loved it, more power to you. I've loved some bad comics in my day. All-Star Batman and Robin made me angry. Yeah, it did. It made me very, very angry. (laughs) Our buddy Martin, creator of the comic Foreign Matter, which you should definitely check out, Google it, wrote in with my exact response, which we will save for the answer of the week. (laughs) So we'll move along to Jamie Hancock, who laments the loss of X-23, saying, X-23 felt like it was cut short. Marjorie Liu made the character really engaging, particularly the way she would often sense others' emotions, and the book really felt like it was just getting started on a long emotional journey. Also, I think X-23 was different enough from Marvel's other books to warrant being kept going. I actually have nothing against X-23, the character. I think uh, she's been used to some fun effect here and there, and I really did like Marjorie Liu when she took over Dokken. She took a character I hated, a concept I abhorred, and really made that a fun book before it got canned. Uh, I never checked out X-23, but it sounds like it is worth picking up in the back issue bins. Yeah, I read a couple issues of X-23, and it was um, it was pretty interesting. I didn't find more than that. They were also back issues that I picked up. Um, but we'll see what happens with X-23, especially in uh, Avengers Arena. Oh, yes. If she, makes it, if she makes it out alive. Well, we do know that from the she first issue, the she makes it to the end. Yeah, day yeah. 28 or whatever. Right. <laughs> we'll see. She's going to murder everybody on that island. (laughs) And finally, our buddy John Luttrell from Burnt Wieners writes, I am shocked that no one has yet mentioned Secret Six. One that really bummed me out and just never seemed to be officially canceled, it just never was seen again, was Jack Cross from DC Comics. And actually, this is not surprising. It's a Warren Ellis comic that I loved, so of course it would just stop. (laughs) See also, Fell, New Universal, Desolation Jones, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I love Gail Simone's Secret Six. For a long time, I thought that that may have been one of DC's best books. And it was a shame not to see it at least carry on in the New 52. I mean, I know that they did Suicide Squad, but... Not the same. Not the same. They should have let Gail write it. 
Uh, yes. Because the first issue of Suicide Squad turned me off permanently on that series. So, Yeah, Secret Six is one of my favorites, too. And I think it's a lot of people's favorites, and it just got a raw treatment. It sure did. And now Jack Cross, it's interesting he mentions Jack Cross. I remember that coming out. I think it was either recently collected for the first time in years, or or they announced that it was going to be finally collected. Check it out. I remember that being a fun... Uh, kind of espionage, you know, international intrigue kind of series, not necessarily uh, what you'd expect from a superhero comic company. Yeah, I never read it. Wonderful responses, one and all, as usual. If we didn't read your answer on the show, that just means there was way too many to get to. Be sure to check back soon for another all-new question of the week, and stay tuned for the Answer of the Week audio blog if you want to hear which titles Aaron and I think were cut down in their prime. It's time, once again, for Ask a Nerd, the monthly segment where we answer one of your burning questions about comics, be it about matters of continuity, collecting, or the industry itself. Of course, I couldn't have the undisputed king of Ask a Nerd in the ziggurat without giving him the honor. Aaron, take it away. All right. So, um, my question is, I recently attended a uh, Comic-Con up in Portland, the Rose City Comic-Con, and I found myself wondering, what are your best and, best and worst con experiences? I mean, individual encounters with a creator, a vendor, or even another con attendee. That is a great question. In my tenure as a comic shop employee, I have been all over the place, going from con to con. And very rarely did I ever get to enjoy it, enjoy it on a fan level. Um, which, so my experiences are a little bit different than what yours might be. I can tell you that some of my favorite experiences have to do with running into creators. Mm-hmm. Es- especially creators that I don't necessarily enjoy. Like uh, Rob Liefeld wandered into okay. our booth at Chicago Comic Con one year. And, you know, I obviously recognized him right away. I said, hey, can I get a picture? And he was super cool about it. And we took the picture. And he said to me after it was done, if you're going to make this into a dartboard, be sure to send me one. (laughs) Which just made me realize that, like, for all all the guff we give him, you know, and all of the the stuff online that comes out about him, the dude really is self-aware. And he's got a thick skin. And he's got a sense of humor about the whole thing, and I really appreciated that interaction with him. Maybe you'll be part of his uh, movie script. <clears throat> oh, maybe, maybe. <laughs> uh, I had an integral role in the history of Image Comics. True. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Aaron? What's uh, what fun stuff has happened to you at cons? Um, you know, all my con experiences have been really good so far. It's just um, every creator I've met has been either pleasant or, at the very least, you know, nice. Nobody's been nobody's been mean or anything like that. Um, sure. The good thing about living in um, kind of near Portland is there's a big comics community here, so there's a lot there's a big independent scene too, and a lot of the indie guys are just more than happy to um, to talk with you and spend time and you know show you their stuff and everything. So um, I've just had nothing but happy experiences and it kind of makes me nervous to go to more cons because you don't want to have that yeah that's you big, my biggest fear is like meeting somebody you really admire and have them not be the person you want them to be that's a very good point i i think that in this age of um you know everybody's connected via the internet it's not like it was back in the 80s 
where you know you might never even know what a creator looked like yeah and and so your only impression of him is you know like articles in letters pages or or what you read from from their scripts yeah yeah wizard magazine but now i think creators are a a lot more aware that the audience is always watching yep and sometimes we get to see more about them than we want it's true it's true now i've never nothing really comes to mind i've never really had a negative creator experience at a comic-con and i've never really run into any like total jerk attendees either which is really nice you know i'm sure they're out there and i'm sure people have nightmare stories but as far as dealing with creators and fellow fans it's been nothing but but fun for me you know except you know you've got the occasional guy coming into your booth wanting to give you a dollar for that thing that you have marked at 10 because they treat it like it's a like as a swap meet a flea market, yeah. But yeah, that's just, you know, that's just the way it thinks. Uh, I can t- say that as far as negative, or not necessarily negative, I will say my weirdest con experience was when we went to Las Vegas, mm-hmm. to the uh, Las Vegas Extrosion, which it was the <laughs> name of the con. Not a word, by the way. Extrosion. <laughs> uh, and the reason we went, first of all, it was Vegas, and why, why wouldn't you? Sure. But second of all was the Diamond Retailer Summit was attached to that convention. So after the show was over, the retailers would get to go and interact with vendors. It was like a convention for retailers. Uh-huh. So we got there and set up, and it's in the Mandalay Bay Casino, and it's a huge place, and it's really, really exciting until the show opened and nobody came. <laughs> it's in this gigantic arena place and nobody showed up i think they got a fraction of what they were projecting and just everyone got burned out beforehand i I don't know like the 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 convention itself was so sparsely attended that i was able to leave the booth and wander around and i happened to see brian michael bendis sitting by himself way in the back like they had separated him from the rest of the convention and uh-huh. like put up velvet ropes and stuff because they were expecting <laughs> a huge line of like a huge wait for people to get to see him right. and he was alone and i walked right. right up to him and had a really nice chat it's gotta be surreal i know right and this wasn't like brian michael bendis in 2000 where hardly anybody knew who he was this was right. this was bendis like Ultimate Spider-Man had five volumes on the shelf. Yep. So he was pretty much at the peak of his power. And uh, yeah, it was crazy. Plus, the whole place is run by Teamsters, and you couldn't do anything without paying them 50 bucks. It was just a really weird, oddball experience. But the retailer summit afterwards was wonderful because I got to meet Darwin Cook, Kurt Busiek, and all sorts of you know guys that were that were there to promote things to retailers. I met Bill Willingham. Um, and, you know, maybe that's kind of cheating because that convention wasn't open to the public. But, I mean, that was, for me... Still a great experience. Yeah, that was a great... Kind of your con. Yeah. And, and this was, like, right before DC The New Frontier came out, so Darwin Cook was just promoting the idea of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kurt Busiek's Conan was about to launch. Fables had barely gotten started. Uh, it was a really great time to meet those guys, and I loved it. And I still have the awesome Catwoman sketch that Darwin Cook did for me. I also have a 
Human Torch sketch that Kurt Music did for me. Kurt oh, Music, wow. not an artist. Right. <laughs> but That's he's still sweet. Yeah, That's it's like he said, you know what? This is a sketchbook and you're getting a drawing. I said, okay, go for it. <laughs> so, but I've been very lucky. Nothing super negative has happened. Just some, a little bit of awkwardness dealing with the convention promoters and yeah. organizers. But other than that, I've had a lot of fun going to conventions. I am kind of dreading, like you said, going to another con. I'm going back to C2E2 this year, and it will be my first con in years, and my first con as a fan, or I guess press, I guess you could say, in years as well. And I am more worried about making an ass of myself than I am worried that I'm going to be offended by anybody. (laughs) Yeah, but if if the creator's nice, um, you know, they're they're usually help you all that fear kind of goes away like um when i went to the rose city comic con it was the first year they put it on so it was attended by a lot of people i think that were just curious at checking it out not even comics fans necessarily sure um, i was there and i was looking for matt fraction and kelly sue deconic were were going to be there i was looking everywhere for them and i just happened to pass a table that had nothing on it two people sitting out there and didn't really look at them i passed them and i looked over and it's Matt Fraction and Kelly Sudeconic. Nobody at the table, nothing on it. They're just hanging out, sitting there. And I, I look at them and go, where is everyone? And they just kind of shrug. <laughs> and I got to like, talk to them for like a half an hour. They were just the nicest people you could ever meet. And it was just, it was surreal because they were just kind of sitting there. People were just walking past them because the con wasn't really attended by kind of that hardcore group of people. I think that would know their names or should know their names. Sure, it, was a lot sure. of, it was a lot of kind of regulars to be, you know. To use a word that's probably yeah. incorrect, but well, was, like great. they, like they saw it on the morning news or whatever, and they said, yeah. "Oh, that looks fun. We'll wander over there." Yep, yep. So, was, uh, so that was that was a ton of fun. Nice. That's a fun question, Aaron. Special thanks to me for this month's question. If you're plagued by questions that only a nerd with two heads can answer, or if you want to issue a trivia challenge to Joe Patrick, you can send an email to twoheadednerd at gmail.com with the subject line, Ask a Nerd. Sort of, sort of, break it, break it down like this. That is it for the Rising from the Ashes of a Disintegrated Friendship episode of THN. If hearing a grown man cry into his root beer because his bestie stabbed him in the back is what you look for in your audio entertainment, you can find the show on Stitcher Radio or subscribe on iTunes where, if you want to prove your THN love, you can leave us a star rating and written review and help us get into the iTunes Top 10. Huge thanks to this week's donors, Patrick and Andy, who made their love of THN public at the second birthday bash this week. If you'd like to help keep us in pony kegs and chips and dip, you can make your donation in any amount at the new and improved TwoHeadedNerd.com. While you're there, you can find links to our Twitter feed and our email, TwoHeadedNerd at gmail.com, where you can send us your love slash hate mail or ask us to review your self-published comic, printed, digital, whatever. And don't forget to check out all of the new content from the THN Love Slaves at TwoHeadedNerd.com, like the full-length, uncensored, live Q&A from last week's episode, including a very special visit from Aaron Myers. Ooh, me? That's you. Ooh. And remember to follow us on Twitter, that's at TwoHeadedNerd, and like our Facebook page if you want to get in the Question of the Week discussion. And if you want to hear our answers, be sure to check out the TwoHeadedNerd.com web-exclusive Not Safe for Weaklings audio blog, The Answer of the Week. Next week, the comic pushers are back to help some poor slob get their comic book fixed. 
Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to everybody that came and partied with us at our second birthday spectacular last weekend. It was a great time, and it's been a great two years. Thanks to all of you out there that have supported us along the way. Too bad it's all been ruined by Matt Bomb's betrayal. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics. Your retailer just might kiss you on the mouth for it, if you're into that sort of thing. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off. Thanks for being here, Aaron. Thank you, Joe. I'm always here for you. I'll never leave you. Ooh, it's getting creepy.